The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. I'm so excited. You know why I'm excited? Because today is Demo Day. Does anyone like Demo Day? Today is Demo Day. Today we are having a church work day right after church uh, to uh, demo our youth room, uh, to remodel it. I'm so excited. I can't even hardly contain. I came early. I already started. I started without you. Um, and uh, so I hope if you signed up, if you didn't, you can stay as well. We have pizza and salad coming and we'll eat lunch and then we'll start our demo. And I'm really excited uh, about that. And uh, our cheat challenge guys are here as well. Um, if you don't if you don't know this incredible ministry here in New Mexico, there's one, you're one of, you guys are it's, you're some of my favorite people. It's one of my favorite ministries. We love you guys so much. I love when you get to come and worship with us. So glad you're a part of, uh, of our day today. And Dad's Father's Day is coming up in two weeks. And uh, I just want to challenge you. Uh, I don't know what you're thinking for Father's Day, but I'll tell you where you should be is you should be in church on Father's Day, all right? Do your other thing on Saturday or after church, all right? And I always tell guys, like, if you if you try to go golfing on Father's Day, you're going to, it's the worst game of your life. You're gonna, it's not going to work. If you try to go fishing, the fish don't bite. Like, whatever the thing is, like, just go to church and then God will bless that. And uh, yeah, there you go. I don't, I think that's theological. Um, hey, Father's Day is going to be a blast uh, here at Harvest. We're going to have a gift for all of our dads. Uh, we announced last week we're going to do an axe throwing competition um, right here on the stage. That, that can't go wrong. Um, and I'm super excited uh, because our middle daughter, Ava, has agreed to help me preach the Father's Day message. So we're... Uh, we're doing it together. Um, usually when she preaches, people come tell me, I can't wait till she's the pastor. And so um, we're going to have a fun, fun day. It's going to be awesome. Hey, and also one more thing that we'll get into the message. Um, if you uh, think about this this week, I'd love for you to be in prayer for myself and a team. Uh, I'll leave after work day to fly to Houston. And then in the morning, I meet tomorrow, tonight I'm meeting nine other pastors in Houston. And in the morning, the 10 of us will fly to Nicaragua. And uh, if you know, uh, some of you know a ministry we support called Feed One. In fact, some of you have been with me to Haiti to uh, see this ministry. So uh, I'm taking nine pastors to see this ministry in Nicaragua. Feed One currently is feeding five, just over 500,000 kids every single school day in 26 different countries. And we get to be a little part of that. A, a bunch of you sponsor uh, a, a child through that ministry. And so this is a trip to take pastors. We'll get to help feed kids, see the ministry. And my ask for these pastors is, hey, if you like what you see, and they're going to, when you get home, tell your church about it, and let's feed a whole bunch of more kids. And so just be in prayer with us uh, this week as we're traveling. And then when we get home, I'll, I'll have some video. I'll show you. I'll tell you all about it. And I'm excited because... Feed One is one of the partners that we're going to support through our Run for the Light in September. And I'll just tell you a little bit about that. You need to start training right now for the Run for the Light. I actually don't care how far you run, but I do hope you'll help us to raise some money because we have a matching donor that if we can raise $75,000, we're going to get that matched, which means we'll give $150,000 to Feed One. And I'm really excited about that. So we're going to do everything we can to help do that because 
because that feeds a ton of kids. It's 10, 10 bucks a day will feed a kid for an entire month, every school day. It's, it's amazing. So just be in prayer with us this week. It's going to be a really, really fun week. In case you're joining us for the first time or maybe as a reminder, we're in a series right now called Familia, okay? Familia. It's a series about all things family. Um, everyone in this room has a family. Um, one week I asked if you liked your family and I had you raise your hands. And I said, if you don't like your family, don't raise your hand. Some of you still raise your hands. Um, you all have a family. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about family. So we've been going through the Bible and learning about different things that will help us to have stronger, healthier families. And today I want to talk about something that is absolutely destroying families across America. I'll set it up this way. On a recent fishing trip, we were had some friends in town. We were going and hiking. We were up in the mountains. It was gorgeous. And uh, we were in the forest. And all of a sudden, we turned the corner and we came to an area where the trees were still standing, but none of them had any, any leaves on it. They're, they were just bare. The trees were, were dead, but they were still standing. And it wasn't a fire. There was no, like, there wasn't, you know, char. There wasn't anything. It was a little bit confusing. What was happening. We began talking about it. We researched it. And what we found out is that there's this little bug that's here in New Mexico and kind of across the West. It's called the bark beetle. And that bark beetle is what had destroyed these trees. I have a picture, I think, of a bark beetle for you. Um, in case you like bugs, you'll, you'll enjoy seeing this. The bark beetle bores itself into the tree. And it, if it's not taken care of, it'll kill the tree in about four years. And what it does is it feeds on the inner bark of the tree, and what that does is it disrupts the tree's ability to transport the water and the nutrients up through the trunk and up into the, uh, into the branches and out into the leaves, and ultimately it kills that tree. And in case you're wondering why your pastor is giving you a lesson on entomology, which is a fancy word for saying the study of bugs, we can learn a lot from this little creature that is wreaking havoc in our forest. So I'm not going to talk about our New Mexico forest anymore. I'm going to talk about the forest that's made up of all of our family trees, okay? You have a family tree, right? All of us have a family tree. And I need you to know this morning that your family tree is facing threats, okay? I know this because the Bible is clear that you and I have an enemy, and that enemy is Satan. And he's got a whole bag of tricks. He's got a whole things planned to try to destroy your life. And today I just want to talk about one of the those things. And so it's a little bug. He looks worse than that bug, worse than the, than the bark beetle. And the bug I want to talk about today that's destroying families' trees is called anger. That's what I want to talk about today. And for, um, I just realized as we were worshiping that um, I didn't mean to be this smart, but how smart was it that we planned demo day on the day we're talking about anger, all right? So we're going to do an altar call at the end. We're going to pray, and then we're going to hand you a sledgehammer, all right? And if you don't work it out here in the altar, you can work it out back there, demo and stuff, all right? How awesome is that? Now, here is the irony of me talking about anger is I have a book in my hand that my wife gave me for Christmas a couple of years ago. It is called Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion. How many of you know when you get that as a Christmas gift, there is a message. There's a message in that. 
I mean, it was, it was kind of ironic, right? It's like, oh, new shoes, right? Oh, a sweater. Oh, a book on anger. Oh, thanks, right? What I, what I, I do want to tell you is that uh, I have um, fought uh, anger for a lot of my life. And so I'm coming to you today as an expert. I'm, a, I'm an expert on this. There have been plenty of times where anger has got the best of me, but I determined a long time ago, um, this goes back to some of what we talked about in this series, that this was not a trait that I wanted to pass down to my children. This is one of those things that, that where the apple doesn't fall from the tree. I really, this, I, don't wanna, I don't want my kids to have to fight this the way that I have, and so I've worked really, really hard on it. This is something I've talked with my counselor about a lot. I've read the book that my wife gave me. I've done a lot of work in this area. And there are days when it gets the best of me, but I, by, God, by God's grace, it's something that I've made a lot of progress in. And I hope that that's encouraging to you today. So let's talk about anger. What is it? A strong feeling of being upset, annoyed, or antagonistic towards something that is wrong or bad. So really simply, uh, we see something that we deem to be wrong or bad, which, by the way, is not hard to do these days. I mean, you just walk out the door and spend about five minutes in the world, you'll see something that is wrong or bad, and you see that, and there's an emotion that comes up. You have this feeling that comes up, and for some of us, for many of us, that feeling is anger. We, we feel angry when we see something that's wrong or bad. And I just want to start here, and I want to tell you this, that anger is not it's natural. It's an emotion that God put inside of every single one of us. It's a very natural emotion for us to feel. God created us to feel this way. In fact, in Genesis, we learn uh, that, that we are created in the image of God. And, and that's kind of interesting when it, you think about anger, because what that means is that God has some anger in him that he actually placed in us. It's a, it's a very natural emotion. And, and I, I don't know how you feel about that. It's kind of weird for me to think about God feeling angry. I, I, don't, I don't know if that strikes you unusual or not. But I'm telling you, it's part of the emotions that God has. It's part of what he put in us. Not all anger is wrong. In fact, I would say at this rate, not only is anger natural, it's also neutral. Meaning that by itself, it's not, it's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. It's actually neutral. The emotion itself is neutral. But what we do with it, how we respond, do we allow it to take control over us? Do we respond in a negative way or do we respond in a healthy way? And I don't, I don't know if you know this. You can respond with anger in a healthy way. In fact, the Bible talks about something that would be called a righteous anger. In the book of Psalms, it says it this way. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. Day. How, how, how strange is that verse, that God displays his wrath every day. I'll, I'll tell you what, if you're wondering, like, well, why is God so angry, right? Because some people have that perspective, is, is that, that God is an angry God. And, and I'll tell you, I don't think he's an angry God, but I do think he has anger on a regular basis. And here's why, because I think he's angry because of our sin, <laughs> 
is that as he's looking across the earth and he sees mankind and he sees what we're involved in and what we're doing and how we're acting, he's not mad at, at, at you, but he's mad at the sin that has entangled our lives. And he's, he's offended. He's offended by that. <laughs> he's angry uh, at the sin in our lives. But the good news is this, is that the Bible tells us, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour anger out on us. Isn't that a great verse? He chose to save us rather than to pour the anger that is in his heart towards our sin. Instead of, in other words, instead of taking that out on us, he said, I'm going to send my son and I'm going to save them. So the anger that you feel is a natural response to things that we see in the world that are wrong or bad. It's, it's natural it's not, a, it's not good or bad by itself, but it's how we handle it. That's, it's, in fact, how we handle our anger is really, really important. Listen to this verse. It says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Here's, here's another version of the same verse. Uh, the English Standard Version says it this way. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Here, here's an example of this idea that we shouldn't give the devil an opportunity or a foothold in our lives. If you go to the book of Genesis, you read about two brothers, Cain uh, and Abel, and there, there's some anger in this story between these two siblings. And, and the Lord actually asked Cain, says, why are you so angry? That's the same question that my counselor asked me. Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? And he says, you'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and master it. Sometimes when we're angry and it consumes us, we do what scientists would call as seeing red. That's what that's called. That's when someone loses it because of their anger. And the anger takes control. The, the, the scientists say they're seeing red. And no longer are they thinking you know, in a normal way, but they're reacting out of this anger. This, this would be best um, seen in like road rage, right? If someone's driving, someone cuts them off, and all of a sudden, just, whoo, they just kind of rears up, and they're seeing red, and now they're doing things, and they're saying things, and they're not thinking in a logical manner, but that emotion has risen up and taken over. And here's what, I don't even like this, but here's what we need to know when that happens, is that when we let anger get the best of us, we are partnering with Satan. I, I don't even like that. <laughs> I, I, I really wish that wasn't true as someone who has struggled with this. But it's, it's just the honest truth that when anger consumes us, we are literally partnering with Satan and his agenda for our life and for 
the world. The image that we're given there in Genesis of, of sin crouching at your door is the image of Satan literally just waiting. Just I'll just walk over to this door. Satan just waiting right outside of this door. And you need to know this. Satan is patient. Did you know, did y'all know that? He's pa- he just, he'll wait. He'll wait for the right time. He'll wait as long as it takes. And sin, uh, Satan is waiting on the other side of the door. And he's waiting. And and, and we've done, we, we go to church and we do the right things and we're trying, we want to keep the door closed. We don't want Satan to come into our life or into our family's life. We don't want him to wreak havoc. But here's what happens is that sin's crouching at your door and we crack it open with, with a little bit of anger. And what happens is he just puts his foot. He just, have you ever done that to someone? Have you ever done that? You just slip your foot in and now they can't shut the door. And they're just, and he's just, he's just like, I'm good. I got my foothold. This is a foothold, right? He's like, I got my foot in, and now the enemy has access to your family, to your joy, to your peace, to your marriage, to your kids, to to every part. And here's the reality, is that if I told you that there was a very bad person on the other side of the door, and all you had to do was keep it shut, they can't come through the door unless you open it. You would keep that door shut. Am I right? But I'm just telling you, every day, all across America, we open the door to the enemy to come into our families through anger, through not, not righteous anger, not, not a holy anger, not, not healthy anger. I'm talking about unhealthy, consuming anger. And I'll be honest that it's often hard to differentiate my anger from that holy, righteous anger. Godly anger. I'll, I'll just I'll admit that sometimes it's hard. In fact, um, as Christians, we like to get angry and then call our anger anger God's. You know, I'm just I'm just I'm just angry about what God's angry about. Uh, maybe we, we let's let's slow down. Right? Let's let's figure this out. In fact, the Bible says this: as human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James chapter one. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So we should be angry about what God's angry about. That's the righteous anger. How do we know what God's angry about? We read his word. We learn his ways. We learn his character. Right? We, we allow the Holy Spirit to help us to judge our hearts, to test our motives. But what I want to do this morning, I want to give you some questions um, that you could ask when you find yourself in a situation where anger is building. This might help you. Here's the first question. What is driving me? What is driving me? What, I, what I'm trying to do is, is before you get to the point where you're seeing red, right? You're angry. You notice it. It's like, wait a second. Here's a question. What is driving me. Here's what I've noticed, and and maybe you have as well, is that we judge ourselves by our motives, and we judge others by their actions. Have you you ever noticed that? And and so we make excuses for the things that we're doing, because we are judging our, well, this is what what I'm thinking, and this is my motive. And and I do do just want to warn you about this, because Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. It says, who can understand it, right? And so I would just caution you to not make excuses for your anger by, by deceiving yourself into thinking you have the, wrong, the right motives. 
This is, this is a hard question. This is deep. This is in, introspective. What is driving me? Why is this triggering me? Here's a, here's a second question. Um, what do I love? What do I love? Let me tell you why this one is so important. Is because we have to frame our anger, and I think the best way to frame it is in the context of love, okay? Because anger will cause us to quickly jump up on our soapboxes. Have you ever noticed that? Have you noticed when someone gets angry and all of a sudden they're just in a tirade about, I told you, and blah, 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 right? And we never should have, and I, blah, blah. have you ever noticed? And we just hop up right up on the soapbox. And so this question, what do I love? It helps us to fight that urge to just hop up on that soapbox really, really quick. We pause and we start asking ourselves, wait a second, what do I love? I love what my friend Carlos Whitaker says. He says, I don't stand on issues, I walk with people. And I love this idea. This is the question, what do I love? Because it's easy to get angry about issues. But when you put people into it, it changes everything. It changes everything when you start thinking about it in the context of the people. And here, here's this, here, here's a verse that you need to see where you, you've heard this verse. Jesus is asked about, about what the most important you know, command is, the most important law. And Jesus replies, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, this is the first and greatest command. So he was asked, what's the greatest command? And he answers, love the Lord with everything, but without even missing a breath, the Lord adds, he says, and there's a second, and watch this, it's equally as important, and he tells us what it is, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. I've always thought it was interesting that Jesus was asked which one law was the most important, and he gives us Two answers. I've, I've always thought that was interesting. It, it, it's, it seems like a little, a little bit of a riddle here, right? I'm like, I, I'm like, I just want you to just tell me. Just tell me the one, and then I can do it. But Jesus gives us two, and he doesn't put, he says, they're equally important. In other words, it's not either or. It's not love God or love people. It's both and. Love God and love people. But he does tell us that we're to love God first, and we can't get this out of order. And in the context of families, what I often see is that we do get this out of order. So I'll just tell you today, families, you're going to mess it up if you love each other more than you love the Lord. Parents, here's the context. Parents, you're in trouble if you love your kids more than you love God. I'm just telling you, you're in trouble, and I know it sounds weird to tell you not to love your kids quite as much as you do. Please love them a whole lot, but love God more. This is why in the Christian church we do something called baby dedication, where we bring the child, and, and we usually we do it in front of the church, we stand in front of the church, we read a verse, we pray over them, and all it is is it's a family giving the child back to the Lord and saying, God, I need your help. I, I don't know how to do this on my own, and I think you know better than me, and so God, I'm, I'm giving him to you, I'm dedicating him or her to you, and I'm asking you. To, to help me to be a godly parent in raising my child. And, and here's what often I see is parents come and they're cute and they're all dressed up for baby dedication and they're just adorable. And we give them to the Lord and then something happens and we take them back. 
right? Wait, wait, God, I think I know. I think I know how to do this. And we take him back. And then we realize we need his help. We give him back to the Lord. And then we take him back. And we give him. And we're just, whoo, ah, whoo, ah, we're just doing this. Our whole, I'm just telling you, parents, you're in trouble if you're putting your kids before your relationship with the Lord. Husbands, wives, you're, you're in trouble if you love your spouse more than you love the Lord. If you get this love out of order, right? If you get it, if you, if you misplace it and it's out of order, you're setting yourself up for an unrighteous anger. So, so what's driving me? Uh, what do I love? And then here's the, here's the third question. What do I seek? What do I seek? I would venture to say, probably everyone in the room <clears throat> would say that you're seeking after a good life for yourself and for your family. Um, I've never met anyone who would say, you know, the goal for my family is to be miserable. That's really what we're going for, right? Like we, we would just really love to hate each other and like yell at each other all the time and just be miserable. We, that's really our goal. Like nobody, nobody says that, right? Everyone is like, you know, like I, I, I want a great life. I want to be loved, right? I want to have friends and live in community. I want to have fun. I want to be healthy. I want to be safe. I want to be happy. You know, all of these things. In other words, we have good desires for our family, and that's okay. That's okay. The question is, how do I seek this life that I'm dreaming of? Who do I go to for the needs in my life? Who, who am I seeking to help me to design this, this good life that I'm dreaming of? And Matthew chapter 6 says this, says, but seek first. Notice another verse that teaches us about order. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be added to you as well. So again, it's about Order. We're, we're actually told to seek God first. It's okay that you're seeking a good life for your family. It, it's quite all right, but God wants you to seek him first. And the good news is there's a promise that he says, you seek me first and I will take care of all of the other things. And I'll just tell you the, a mistake that I see families uh, often make when it comes to this idea of what do you seek is that I see families that plan for their family without asking God what he wants. They make a plan. <laughs> I'm going to live here, and I'm going to work here. My kids are going to go to this school, and we're going to do this thing. And, all, and they just plan and plan and plan and plan and make all these great plans for their family. But they don't consult the one, the main one, who, who they should be consulting, who is the Lord himself. I mean, what if, what if you, you made some plans, and you went to the Lord, and you said, hey, this is what I've been thinking about for our family. What do you think? You kind of give them like veto power, right? Well, I actually was thinking that this would be, this is what I'm dreaming of your family. What if we did this? What do you seek? This is a question we can ask as, as, as anger is maybe coming up inside of us. I, I actually, I'll, I'll share with you a time in our lives where I feel like I got a little too caught up seeking the good life and, and not consulting the Lord. Our oldest daughter, Mercy, just 
finished her first year of, of college. And uh, when she was in high school, we started thinking more and more uh, about college. And in fact, I found a little podcast series. And, and uh, so we would listen to it on the way to school about 10 minutes at a time. And we'd talk about it. And, and uh, it, it had a lot of good things in it about how to choose the right school and how to go to school debt-free and all these things. And so um, all three of our girls were driving to school and listening to this and talking about it. And so what ended up happening is we got closer to Mercy's senior year, and it's time to start making decisions. And, and we were having great conversations, but none of us had asked the Lord what he wanted. <laughs> and we started looking at, at colleges, and, and I started planning, right? I looked at the bank account and the college savings account, and I looked at what the scholarships were, and I started doing the math, and I figured out where Mercy should go to college all by myself. Have you ever made any decisions like that? All by myself. I was really proud of it too. That's the worst part. I mean, I came in one day and I had this plan and I told Lisa, I said, I know what we should do. And I laid out the plan. And for me, the joy of it was I had figured out, I had figured out how to send our daughter to school without any debt. I was so proud. And Lisa said, what do you think God wants? And I did not like that question because I had not asked that question. And she very gently rebuked me. I call her the velvet brick, because you don't know you got hit by Lisa until a day later, and then you're like, my jaw is hurting, right? And, and so she asked, she's like, she's like, what did God want? What, did, what do you think the Lord wants? And, and she said to me, she said, she said, babe, I'm really proud of you for figuring out and having this goal that, that our kids would go to school debt-free. I'm really, that's, that's honorable. I like it. I'm in line with that goal. But if God wants another plan for her, if, if he wants her somewhere else, I think he'll provide for that. And you don't, you don't have to figure it all out. And so that sent us on a different journey. We began to, to look at other options and pray about other options. And, and long story short, the Lord led us to a different option than I had figured out. And it cost quite a bit more than the plan that I had figured out. And then scholarships began to come in. And, and this, is just, this is just our testimony is that we got to a point where it was like, hey, this is going to work. I, I had it all on my spreadsheet. I'm like, this is going to work. And we had, we had a, 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 an amount that was left. And I looked at Lisa. I said, we can do this. We can afford this. And my parents, they, they actually they said, we're going to help you. And we're like, oh, I got it all worked out. And I was like, this is cool. God, this is a really good plan. I'm glad. I'm glad we worked, we worked this out, Lord. And the day we left for Texas, she's going to school in Texas, we loaded the car, and we loaded her car, and, and then I got in my car, her and Lisa got in her car, I said, let's meet at the gas station, we drove to the gas station, on the way to the gas station, I got an email, I looked at the email, I almost didn't believe it, because the email said, Mercy has been awarded a scholarship, and I'm not even, I couldn't make this up, it was within $100 of the amount that we had figured out that we had left. And we get to the gas station, and I park, and I run to the, I'm like, pull your windows down. You're not going to believe this. And I read it to them, and, I, and I'm like, guys, I didn't, believe, I didn't believe it. I actually called between home and gas station to verify. I'm like, is this for real? Is this a for real? Like, like, you're not joking with us? Right? Like I didn't, and I, when I said that, when, when I shared this news, Mercy, she said, this is, Dad, this is like when Abraham 
had to sacrifice uh, his son, and he went all the way up to the altar, and he was just about to sacrifice his son. He had the knife in his hand. He was just about, and the Lord provided. The Lord stopped him. He said, Dad, she said, Dad, this is for sure where God wants me to go. It was such a cool moment. And I'm telling you this story because I wasn't wrong in seeking a good life for my kid to go to a school without debt. That's a good goal. I think that's a goal all of us should have. It's a great goal. But I went about it the wrong way. I didn't consult the Lord. So it's pretty easy to uh, get off track and start seeking your own kingdom and your own, your own way, your own, your own you know, way of doing things. And so I just wanted to, to warn you today that we're talking about anger. In the context of anger, these questions, what a, what, what's driving me? What, what do I love? and What am I seeking? These help us to, to not let anger get the best of us. Think, think about Jesus for just a minute. Jesus, um, Jesus got angry. Mark chapter 11 tells a, a story. It says the next day they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree that was in leaf, so it had green leaves on it, he went to find out that it didn't have any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Jesus was angry, right? And the disciples heard him saying it. And on the reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. You probably know this story. And began driving out those who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. I read this one to you today because this is actually two back-to-back angry moments in the life of Jesus. And to be fair, the first angry moment I would probably classify as hangry. Not, not just angry, but hangry. Anyone ever been hangry before. It's this mixture of I'm angry and I'm hungry. And I can't differentiate between the two, so I'm just hangry, right? And so often, if you eat, you get a little bit less hungry, right? Jesus was hungry. He goes to the tree. There's no fruit there. He's hangry, so he curses the tree, right? He curses the tree. But the second one, it's right after that, and he walks in to the temple, and they're, and they're, they're selling doves, and they're selling things, and they're, they're making money. They're cheating people. And so if we go back to these questions, and we look at Jesus' anger, and we ask, what's driving me? What do I love? What do I seek? We see these questions frame Jesus' anger as he comes in to the temple, and we can see easily that Jesus is angry because people are corrupting the temple, because they're hindering people from worship, and because they are cheating people. In other words, it's pretty easy to see that this is a picture of righteous anger. There's another, another story in John 11 where Jesus has a friend. His name is Lazarus. Jesus um, gets word that his friend has died, and so he goes there. And the Bible says, when Jesus saw her weeping uh, and saw the other people wailing, it says this. It's, it's interesting. This is Jesus. It says, a deep anger welled up within him, and he, Jesus, was deeply troubled. This is interesting to me. Why was Jesus angry when his friend died? Unfortunately, as 
pastors, Lisa and I, often are walking with people through some of the the worst days of their life, some of the lowest days of their life. And often that includes um, the death of a loved one. And in that, um, we've noticed that quite often one of the emotions that is felt either that day or the next day or in the coming days is anger. And often people in that time get angry with God, right? I don't know if you've ever seen this. Why did I lose this person? Why did God take them from me? This isn't fair. It wasn't their time. It's unjust, right? And so we get angry. But I don't think that's what's happening here with Jesus and Lazarus because we keep reading. It actually tells us that Jesus, he's angry. He's standing there. He begins to weep. And as he's weeping, the people are watching and they say this. They say, see how much he loved him. Look how much Jesus loved his friend Lazarus. And if you remember one of our questions, what do I love? Again, love is, is giving us a clue as to what is driving Jesus' anger. And we keep reading, and it says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. So he carried this with him for a little while. He gets to the tomb. He's still a little bit upset. And they said, there's a stone that's rolled across the entrance. And he gives the order. He says, roll the stone aside. But Martha, <laughs> the dead man's sister, protested. And it's a good protest. Says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. It is going to smell. It's a good protest, right? And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So again, it's pretty easy to see that here Jesus' anger is motivated by two things, by God's kingdom and by God's love. Now, think about your own anger for just a moment. When we are angry, often the last thing we're thinking about is the kingdom of God or the love of God. Am I right? Often, what we're thinking about is ourselves. Because honestly, anger is very selfish. Your toddler breaks down on you in the store, and you're angry because they are embarrassing you. You're driving down the road, someone cuts in front of you, and you're angry because they got in your way. <laughs> They're slowing you down. What's more important in their life that I, right? I mean, it's typically, it's very, very selfish. So what if we could reframe our anger? What if in our anger we could, we could just pause long enough to, to consider the kingdom of God and the love of God and allow that to shape our response to the situation? But maybe you're here today, and you're thinking, Pastor, you don't understand. Because what I want, I'm so angry because I want justice. I want justice. Does anyone have a justice streak in you? Anyone? You're just like, I want justice. And you're thinking, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said about me. You don't understand the pain that I've endured. You don't know the abuse that I've gone through. Pastor, you wouldn't say this if you knew the details. And if that's you today, I just want you to know this. I want you to know that I do see you, and that God sees you, and that God loves you, and that God's angry with you. I want you to know that. I want you to know that God is angry with you, but he doesn't want anger to rule your life. He doesn't want it to define your marriage, your parenting, your home. And this is one of the hardest parts, this is one of the hardest parts of our faith is this idea of free will. Why did this person hurt me? 
Why did they do that to me? Why did God allow this thing to happen? And it's, it's just so, it's so hard to explain this idea that God allowed that person to hurt you. But in the same way, you have free will to decide today if you'll reject the plan of God or if you'll let him walk through the pain with you. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if God protected us from everything and nothing bad ever happened? I mean, wouldn't that just be be incredible, but that's not how it works. And who would know better than Jesus himself? Go with me for just a moment to what I believe is the biggest injustice in human history. I don't know what you might be picturing right now because our history is filled with unjust moments, but here's what I think is the most unjust moment. Luke chapter 23 verse 33 says this, when they came to a place called the skull, they crucified him. I'm talking about Jesus. They crucified, meaning they nailed him to a cross. They put a, a nail in each hand and a nail in his feet. They put him on a cross. And they, they lifted that cross and they left him to hang there, to suffocate and to die. And here's what's unjust about it is Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Not one thing wrong. Jesus never sinned. 1 John tells us, chapter 3, verse 5, but you know that he appeared so he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Yet, Jesus hangs on the cross. He's tortured on a cross. And before you get too angry about this, please remember that he did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for your sin. He did it for my sin. And what's astonishing is his response <laughs> Because I'll tell you what, if I'm hanging on a cross, I am going to be angry. I'm going to be, what, what did I do to deserve this? But Jesus, hanging on a cross, you might remember, he prays a prayer. He looks up towards the heaven and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I don't know how many times you've heard that passage, but... As I read it this week, I found myself asking, why in the world would Jesus do that? How? How? How could he hang on a cross after he was whipped and beaten and a spear ran through his side and a crown of thorns on his head and nails to his hands and his feet? And he knew he hadn't done a single thing wrong. And he prays that those that hurt him would be forgiven. And I just realized all over again how deep and how wide and how big and how big, amazing and how powerful the love of Jesus is for you and for me. He loves us enough. They didn't let anger get the best of him in that moment. He allowed forgiveness to come through him. It's, it's absolutely amazing. So during an especially angry season of my life, I went to my counselor for some help, and he kept asking me, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? And it took some deep work to, to dig down. And to, you know, the, the thing that sets us off is just the surface. It's just on the surface, right? And so he'd say, why are you so angry? And I said, well, blah, 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 whatever the thing was. And he'd go, no, 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 no. 
that, that just tipped the scale. Why are you so angry? And I'm like, oh, because of ba 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 ba. And he's like, no, that's like, you're barely under the surface. Why are you so angry? And I'm like, because of ba ba And I'd say something. He's like, no, dude, I need you to get deep. I need you to get, I need you to go deep into your heart. I need to figure out what in the world is triggering you. And I'll just give you a couple of, of triggers that are pretty common. One is this, is unfulfilled desires. So, so it's just this, I want something. Remember, we go back to this question, what do I seek, right? So I want something, and that want, it's not even that the want is bad. I want something, but I can't get it. I want this for my life, but things aren't going my way. And so we get angry. Unfulfilled desires. Here's another trigger, unmet expectations, Unmet expectations. This one, we're talking about family, so I'll give you context. Often we see this in marriage, right? Is one spouse is mad at the other spouse, but we don't know why, and we start talking about it, and we realize there is an expectation that was unmet, right? And I'll just give you some free marriage advice, is that your spouse cannot meet your expectation unless they know the expectation, all right? They got to know. They got to know the expectation. I was telling the girls this this week because um, Lisa came in. We were in Lubbock for the wedding, and she came in. She goes, she goes are y'all tired? And all four of us said no. And she goes, because I think I want to take a nap. And we all laughed, and we were like, why didn't you just lead with, I'm tired, I want to take a nap? Why? Like it felt like she was trying to like Jedi mind trick us into all being tired. And I told the girls, I said, I said, I remember early in our marriage, she would come to me, she'd go, babe, are you hungry? And if I said no, right, I quickly realized that what she meant was she was hungry, right? And I'm like, just tell me that you're hungry. We can solve. <laughs> That's an expectation that we can solve really, really easy. So unmet expectations can often trigger anger. Here's another one, misdirected anger. This is one you'd have to do some deep work because what happens is something happens over here in this part of your life, but you express the anger over here in this other part of your life. So you got to do some work to backtrack to the thing. So this often happens, you get something happens at work and you get upset when you come home and you give your anger to your family, right? You're not mad at your family, right? You're mad at this thing that happened over here at work. And so that's where it takes some work to, to figure out where is this really coming from? And then probably one of the easiest triggers is just, is just circumstances, you know, you, you walk out to your car and you have a flat tire or you stub your toe or, you know, something happens. There's a circumstance that, that, that triggers. That trigger. Those are often the easiest ones to identify. Here's the weird thing about anger is that it can often become a false sense of comfort. <laughs> anger can actually provide you with a weird, strange level of comfort because what happens, we kind of wrap ourselves in our anger and we, we, we tell ourselves, if I'm angry, then justice is being served. And if I let go of this anger, then I'm saying it's okay. And it is definitely not okay. So I'm going to stay in this anger. And we hold onto it. And when we're angry, we think that we hold the power. But I'll just remind you one more time that when anger gets the best of you, you are partnering with Satan, which means in reality, when you're angry, you don't have the power. Satan has the power to your life. So how do we 
overcome? How do we avoid this unrighteous anger? I just have a couple, like, really practical. I want to give you some practical, practical things, and, and, and I hope it'll help you. Number one is this, is take a breath. <laughs> take a breath. And my dad, my whole life, my whole life, I'm very excitable. I don't know if you knew that about me. My whole life, dad would tell me, he'd say, Jason, the first thing you need to do is calm down. Just calm down. I thought about this week with anger. Often he said it in the context of my passion, right? I'd come in like, ah, let's do this, dad. And he's like, the first thing you do is calm down. But when it comes to anger, it's good advice. Slow down. You get angry, slow down. Take a breath. Evaluate what's happening. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. So we take a breath. Number two, submit your anger to the Lord. James tells us, says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So you get angry if you can slow down, if you can take a breath, and then you can submit that to the Lord. Lord, I'm angry. Is this a righteous anger? Is this an unrighteous anger? God, are you angry about this? Or is this just me being petty? And you submit that to the Lord. I love how it says that you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. And you need to understand this, that Satan loves to bait you in with anger. It's like, a, it's like his bait. <laughs> he just, he's baiting you and he's getting you angry, getting you angry, getting you angry. And that's not really his point. He's just trying to get a foothold into your life. And here's the last practical thing I tell you. So, so you, you slow down, you submit your anger to the Lord, and this is going to be really a popular thing. Die to yourself. Die to yourself. So, such a great message, right? Aren't you encouraged? So encouraging. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. This is, just, this is part of following Jesus is that we die to our own agenda. We die to our own ideas. We die to emotions that, that want to take over for us. And I'll just tell you this. I, again, I don't really like this, but holding a grudge for the believer is not an option. It's not an option. When we're angry, we, what we're doing is we're really putting our trust in our pain for our anger. Really what we need to do is trust God with our pain. Pain is part of life. I, I wish that weren't true, but it's just part of life. And, and if we let our anger get the best of us, you won't ever control your anger. It will control you. There's a verse that says this, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9. I, I read this verse and I had to share it with you. Anger lodges in the heart of fools. Have you, have you ever had a, a splinter in your finger? It's a little splinter and you kind of know it's there, like you can feel it, and it's irritating. 
but like it's not out enough where you, you, you can't really get it, right, with, with tweezers, so, so it's there, and so you just kind of keep going, right, and I don't know if you've ever had this happen, I've had it happen a few times, there's this little splinter, and you can't get it out, so it stays lodged in your finger, right, this is what I thought about when I read Ecclesiastes, that if we're not careful, anger will lodge itself in your heart, because, I don't know, have you ever had it happen where it gets lodged in your finger, you can't get it out, and it becomes infected, have you ever had that happen, and all, I mean, sometimes, like one, one time, I, like I went to bed, I had a little splinter, I was fine, and I woke up the next morning, and it was, it was infected, y'all. It was pussy, and nasty, and gross. I mean, it was just, and I'm like, what in the world? Oh, I just had a little baby splinter in my finger. And this, is, this is what Ecclesiastes is talking about. That if we don't deal with the anger, the, the little splinter, it gets lodged in our hearts. And what happens is that anger lodged in your heart eventually becomes bitterness. Did y'all ever, I don't know if it's still on, did y'all ever watch that show, Hoarders? Did y'all ever watch that show, Hoarders? Some of y'all can't even watch it. it. It gives you too much anxiety. It shows about, it's a show about people who, who hoard and they just, they, they're hoarding stuff, hoarding stuff, hoarding stuff. And eventually their family calls and asks for help. And some experts come in. And, and, and it's, it's fascinating to watch. It's fascinating. Because the experts are walking through the house. And it's like, a, it's like a maze. It's a trail through the house that's just big enough for a human to walk through. And it's just boxes and bags and piles and piles and piles. And you're watching it, and you're like, why would they keep all that stuff? Why? And you're looking, you're like, that's trash. I mean, look, that is, that's not even any good. They're not even keeping good stuff. And, you, and they start interviewing the hoarder and like, why is this important to you? And it's like everything has some emotional connection or some, some deep-seated fear. Like, I have to have 400 you know, bottles of soap because you just never know what's going to happen. You know? And I had to have this thing. And, I had, and, it's, oh, and it's like, it's fascinating trying to, trying to unpack what's happening in the mind of a hoarder. <laughs> I thought of that this week. Why don't you stand with me? Why don't you stand with me? I thought of that this week because I, I thought, you know, for, for some of us, if we could kind of do the same kind of a process as they do in those houses, if we could walk through the, the aisles of your heart, so to speak, we, we might find some hoarders who've been hoarding up anger and bitterness. Your spouse does something, you just... Box it up, put it on the shelf. I'm going to keep that for a little while. I'm going to need that later. I'm going to use that against them. They do something else, and just, I'm going to put that in a jar. I'm just going to put that in my pantry. I'm going to need that in a little while. You start walking through the aisles of your house, and you realize you've been hoarding all these hurts. Let me, let me tell you, if you, in case you're wondering, here's how you know. Here's how you know if you've been hoarding hurts. You're hoarding hurts if it consumes you. If it's the last thing you think about when you go to sleep and the first thing you think about when you wake up, you're hoarding some hurts. You're hoarding hurts if you're always trying to recruit others to your team. Have you, ever, have you known some people like this? You're, just, you're constantly telling people all about the hurts, all about the hurts, all about the hurts. Do you, can you believe they did this? Can you believe they said this? Can you, are you on my, I mean, this is what you're asking. Are you on my team? Are you on my team? They hurt me. They hurt me. They hurt me. They hurt me. Do you like me? They hurt me, they hurt me. Be on, be on my team. You're hoarding hurts if you're constantly 
recruiting others. And here's, here's, the, last, here's the last one I'll give you. You're constantly, you're, 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 you're hoarding hurts if you're constantly, easily offended. Easily offended. It's like everything sets you off. Everything sets you off. Oh, they're out of bread. Ugh! Right? What? That's an, that's an unnormal response. Right? You know why I know that? Lisa's told me that. She's told me that a lot of times. Like, this is, this is a bigger response than it should have. It's just a clue. I'm, just having, I'm trying to help you. It's a clue that you're, you've, been, you've been saving up your pain, saving up the hurt, saving up the offense, saving up. So how do we, how do we get free? How do we get free? It's going to take a lot of work. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of work. And that, you're so encouraged today, aren't you? It's going to take a lot of work. Look at this verse. I want to show you this verse. It's going to take a lot of work. It says this, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So look after each other so none of you fails to receive the grace of God. So you're working hard, but also you're in community and they're helping you to work hard. And it says this, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And I'll leave you with one final verse, then worship team's gonna lead us in a song, and then I'm gonna come back, we're gonna pray, we're gonna give our, we're gonna give, we're gonna give, we're gonna give our anger to the Lord. We're like, no, no bark beetles are gonna destroy my family tree today. That's what we're gonna do. Watch, watch this verse. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do, do the altar. The response is just slightly different because I'm going to ask you the question right now because I think the Holy Spirit's going to do some work during these final couple of minutes as we allow the worship team to lead us in a song. How many of you would say today, say, you know what, Pastor, there's some anger, and I know it's destroying some parts of my family, and, I, and I'm not okay with it. I'm, I'm ready today. I want to I put a stop to it. I need, I need the Lord to help me with this. Anyone that would be bold enough to, to admit that this morning? I'm so proud of y'all. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. <laughs> it's not at all. I want to give you some hope. It's not going to happen like this. I'm going to say it a bunch in this series. You didn't get here overnight and you won't get out overnight either. But today something can happen as you submit that to the Lord. It will begin a process of Him unraveling the mysteries of your heart. Why do you feel that way? The Holy Spirit's going to ask you, like my counselor, why are you so angry? You're going to tell Him something. No, no, no. No, why are you so angry? You're going to tell him something. No, 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 no. No, why are you so angry? And some of you are going to have to go, you're going to go like eight or nine or ten layers deep, and you're going to discover something that you locked away a long time ago. It's be, it became the root of anger and bitterness in your life. And here's the deal. I just did this yesterday. I was walking up to my front door. A little weed, a little weed, it started to pop up. And I almost just walked past it. You ever done that? And in New Mexico, if you walk past it, the next day it's like four, right? <laughs> so I stopped. I'm like, I'm dealing with this right now. 
And I walked over, and I pulled it, and I made sure that I pulled the root out. Because y'all know this, you're smart. If I don't get the root, what's going to happen? It's going to come back. And that's what most of us do with our anger. You just chop the top off. Chop the top off. Comes back, chop the top off. And today, what we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to do is to help us to identify the root. To dig that root up. So it's never in our lives again. How many of you sound that? Does that sound good to you? All right, worship team, will y'all come? Lead us in a final song. Then I'm going to come back. We're going to pray. And then we're going to give sledgehammers away. And we're going to go do some demo. All right, let's go. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.